0: reading today comes from 1 Kings 8 and starts on page 330 in the Church Bibles. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands towards heaven and said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below, You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised and with your hand you have fulfilled it, as it is today. Now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, You shall never fail to have a successor to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me faithfully as you have done. And now, God of Israel, let your servant David, my father, come true. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be opened towards this temple night and day, this place of which you said, My name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. When anyone wrongs their neighbour and is required to take an oath, and they come and swear the oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act. Judge between your servants, condemning the guilty by bringing down on their heads what they have done, and vindicating the innocent by treating them in accordance with their innocence. When your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and give praise to your name, praying and making supplication to you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land you gave their ancestors. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray towards this place and give praise to your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live, and send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. When famine or plague comes to the land, or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, or when an enemy besieges them in any of their cities, whatever disaster or disease may come, and when a prayer or plea is made by any one among your people Israel, being aware of the afflictions of their own hearts, and spreading out their hands towards this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and act. Deal with everyone according to all they do, since you know their hearts. For you alone know every human heart, so that they will fear you all the time they live in the land you gave our ancestors. As for the foreigners who do not belong to your people Israel, But have come from a distant land because of your name for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm when they come and pray towards this temple then hear from heaven your dwelling place do whatever foreigners ask of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people Israel and may know that this house I have built bears your name When your people go to war against their enemies wherever you send them and when they pray to the Lord towards the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name then hear from heaven their prayers and their plea and uphold their cause. When they sin against you for there is no one who does not sin and you become angry with them and give them over to their enemies who take them captive to their own lands far away or near and if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors and say, We have sinned, we have done wrong and we have acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray pray to you toward the land you gave their ancestors, towards the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea, and uphold their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you, forgive all the offences they have committed against you, and cause their captors to show them mercy, for they are your people and your inheritance, whom you have brought out of Egypt, out of that iron smelting furnace may your eyes be open to your servant's plea and to the plea of your people israel and may you listen to them whenever they cry out to you for you singled them out from all the nations of the world to be your own inheritance just as you declared through your servant moses when you sovereign lord brought our ancestors out of egypt and then the second reading is from Acts 13 verses 1 and 2. Now in the church at sorry now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers Barnabas Simeon called Niger Lucius of Cyrene Mannan who had been brought up with Herod the tetrarch and Saul while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting the holy spirit said Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them.
1: Shall we pray together? Father, your word is life. Your word speaks truth into our lives and your word reveals your heart to us. So come now, and by the grace of your Spirit, help us to hear and receive your word as you would have it received. That through it this morning, we may encounter you afresh. In Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) So as we conclude our series this morning, I wonder what it is that you've taken from this series on powerful prayers. Um, And I hope you've been reflecting um, as you've been listening to the talks on what it is that you can take from them for your own prayer lives. And sometimes that can be difficult because we might establish routines of prayer um, that we hold fast to. We might have worked out how it is. We we managed to fit prayer into our busy lives. So what is it from this series that you've learned that's enriched um, your prayer lives? We had a reminder from Nigel, just to pick out some of my highlights uh, um, over the series, um, to be bold in our prayers, um, to, to boldly come before God in prayer. And last week we had David talk to us about a right attitude of spirit that faced into the Lord. There's some great talks to listen to again online. Amen. And today as we conclude our series, we come to Solomon. And in an age of quick fixes, you have to hand it to Solomon. He's the man who's been overseeing the rebuilding of the temple for seven long years. And I mean, I've heard over the last few weeks of friends in the church who um, are in the construction business and have delays and how frustrating that can be. Well, Solomon has been at this project for seven long years. And this, of course, is no ordinary construction project. This is the temple, the space where God's name will dwell. And in verse 29, Solomon prays, With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it, as it is today. And Solomon, having reached this point with the temple, is not simply a man who can be rightly proud of his enormous achievement, but much more than that, a man who stands in the promise of God, and who has stood in that promise of God For seven plus years, the promise that Solomon would be the one to build the temple was made all the way back in in the book of, I think it was 1 Samuel, um, where um, Nathan, speaking on behalf of the Lord, tells David, wait, you're not going to be the king who will rebuild the temple, who will rebuild a place for my ark, uh, the symbol of God's presence with his people, to dwell. Instead, your son will be the one to do that. And Solomon is doing exactly what he ought to be doing at this stage. Having invested seven years in this almighty construction project, Solomon stands before the altar in the sanctuary of the temple and prays to the Lord. And in this prayer, Solomon as a king, someone who represents people and a nation, is not only praying as an individual, but he's praying for his people and for his land. So he's interceding, just as we do each week for people and situations, events in the world. Solomon likewise comes before the Lord um, at the altar and prays for his people and his land. This is a space where God's presence is going to dwell. And I think there's an important point here about God's faithfulness to his promises. When God spoke to Solomon's father David through Nathan, he not only promised to Solomon um, that he would be the one who would rebuild the temple, but in verse 24, Solomon is testifying that you have kept your promise to your servant David, my father, with your mouth. You have promised And with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. God makes it possible for Solomon to stand in this place of prayer. God's was the promise that Solomon would be the one to rebuild the temple. God's was the strength that allowed Solomon to endure as he stood in that place of promise. And God is now with Solomon in that place of encounter as Solomon stands before the Lord At the altar with the temple built. What do I believe we can take from this as individuals and as a church? That God prepares the way, even the times and the places, for us to encounter God. I'm not suggesting for a moment that the temple was rebuilt entirely so that Solomon could have this moment of encounter with the Lord. But still the Lord enabled that moment for Solomon um, in the space where the temple was rebuilt. Where are your spaces of encounter with the Lord Jesus? Which spaces has God prepared where you go to them and that's somewhere, that's a thin place um, where you can most um, easily encounter the Father? I've heard people say that whilst washing dishes, this doesn't work for me, um, whilst, whilst washing dishes, uh, they find it such a passive activity that actually they can pray more easily whilst doing that. And, and, and other people find taking photos of creation um, helpful in, in, their, in their prayer lives. What are the places where God has set up so that you may encounter him just as Solomon encounters the Lord powerfully in the temple? And this is our first encouragement in prayer this morning, that God provisions those places for us to meet with him. That's his desire, that we should, as his people, be able to encounter him. So as Solomon stands in a temple at the altar and spreads out his hands before God, what can we learn through this passage about prayer? Well, the passage falls in two distinct sections, and we're going to probably focus a bit more on the first section, um, verses 23 through 30. Uh, In these verses, we see Solomon describing who God is, and then the passage moves on in verses 31 following. We find that Solomon is interceding for specific people and situations. Do you know, there's something about the way we're nurtured in the faith of Jesus that informs the way we see God. There's something about the way we're nurtured in the faith of Jesus, that informs the way we see God. And that's important here this morning as we welcome nine people into membership. We, we welcome them into, into a family, into a covenant relationship um, where we agree and affirm to nurture them in their faith, to disciple them, to pastor them. That's at the heart of our membership um, covenants. And I wonder who it is who has nurtured you in your faith over the years? Who was it that first told you about Jesus Christ? Who was it that helped you grapple with reading the scriptures and with prayer? Who was it that helped you with those barriers to your own understanding of faith that got in the way of you living life with Jesus? The people who nurture us in the faith um, affect the way we see God. And I wonder how great is our opportunity as individual Christians to reveal Jesus, to reveal the Father heart of God to each other, and so influence the way um, we all see God together. The way we model things is important. And as we experience the love and grace of God ministered through one another, how might our own sense um, be influenced of who God is? And Solomon, of course, as the king, um, was being influenced by God all the time. And how the king led his nation was significant for how the people experienced God. Solomon has a clear idea of who God is. And we discover it in the first part of this prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first um, became a Christian, I was taught a model of prayer, which, you know, was acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. I heard Young Church being taught this the other week, and I wonder how many of you have been taught this similar anacronym in terms of how should we pray And we see all these dimensions of prayer in this prayer of Solomon this morning. We've heard thanksgiving already as Solomon recognises the promise of God to David fulfilled in his day. We're about to discover adoration and we'll also witness aspects of confession as Solomon asks for God's mercy on his people. And we'll see as Solomon continues in prayer what it is to intercede for people, and situations. It's true, isn't it, that to put our confidence in someone, we must have a sense of trust in the other, either because their character or their knowledge or what we've seen them do, our experience of them. That's the reason it's important that we model the fruits of the Spirit that we that we read about in Galatians of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, and gentleness. And in showing these characteristics, we reveal something of God. And also, in not revealing these characteristics, we, we kind of distort um, the image of God in our behavior. So there's a challenge for us, but fortunately, we have the gift of the Spirit to help us um, to live out those fruits of the Spirit. Solomon clearly is a man who loves the Lord his God. But what is that love, that adoration based on? And what can it teach us in prayer? So I've got three things this morning. Firstly, covenant. Covenant, it's about relationship. Prayer is the expression of love and trust. It's a sharing of need within the context of relationship. A covenant is a deep sharing of life and purpose. And we've already seen many covenants made throughout the scriptures to this point. God promises Noah that he will never again destroy all life through the flood. Abraham was the recipient of many promises of both descendants and land. And actually, the whole story of the Bible is a covenant story. In, in fact, um, the word for testament in Latin is covenant. So the old covenant and the new covenant that we stand in. So covenant is a central theme of scripture and it's a central uh, premise behind Solomon's prayer. Membership in our understanding here is equally covenantal. It's a living relationship relationship between one another, which this morning nine new people enter into. It's a deep and binding relationship between individual members and the church as a whole, and it forms the foundation of helping us to understand how we can be encouragers of one another, how we can build each other up in the faith according to each other's need. So there's covenant in membership, but there's also something here about corporate prayer for us. Solomon prays within the context of covenantal relationship. So of course we have our individual prayer lives, but there's a power to pray together as a church community. And we see this in the sending of Barnabas and Saul in our reading from Acts. So Barnabas and Saul are commissioned after prayer and fasting of the church community around them to go out and to further the Lord's work. So while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. But it happened as there was a gathering of prayer, fasting and worship. And, and I think we need to really sew into um, our corporate prayer life as a church, uh, we've started, I think it's on the third Sunday of the month, um, a time for prayer. A- and I would really implore you to try and join others in praying during that time. And you might find it helpful to pray in triplets. And I know some of you do actually pray in triplets, so this is already happening in the life of the church. But you might want to grab some other people who you feel vulnerable enough to pray around and to really pray together for the life of the church and each other. It's important, friends, that we pray together. So the first point that influences Solomon's adoration of the Lord is covenant. The second point is the incomparability of, of God. Let's look at verse 23. Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. And if you want another scripture to try and get your head around this overwhelming incomparability of God, turn to Isaiah chapter 40. The whole passage reveals the extent of God's power and his work in the lives of his people. But in verses 25 and 26 of Isaiah 40, we read, "'To whom will you compare me? "'Or who is my equal?' says the Holy One. "'Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. "'Who created all these? "'He who brings the starry host one by one "'and calls forth each of them by name "'because of his great power.' And mighty strength, not one of them is missing. So Solomon adores God for his incomparability. And the struggle for us when we pray, is that God is so incomparable, um, so beyond all measure of our understanding, we can't conceive of him sometimes, and we can't limit him to our own understanding, that we actually feel that a God so big can't be small enough to work in our lives. I hope that makes sense. A God so overwhelmingly big, so incomparable... um, is not small enough to be able to work in our lives. And so we doubt God's power to remember us. But in Isaiah 40, there's that line that said, because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them, not one of the starry host is missing. There was detail in God's design. There is detail in God's understanding of you and I and the situations we face. Even with the incomparability of God, Solomon knows that he can stand before the altar and plead with God for people and situations. And so he does this. Because you keep your covenant of love, I will pray for those in famine. Because you created the heavens above and the earth below, I will pray confidently for rain. Because Solomon is assured of God's power and his majesty and his incomparability, he comes confidently before God in prayer. So I wonder how we take the promises of God for our own lives I wonder how we take promises of God to be with us until the end of the age. And I wonder how we claim those promises and say on the days when we find ourselves in the desert places, in the, in the difficult situations of life, because you have said you will be with me, therefore I will trust in you, even though it doesn't feel good at the moment. How do we claim that? Those promises of God's incomparability and let them shape our own prayers with confidence. So, incomparability is the second point. Third point Solomon adores God for his faithfulness. We saw this gloriously in what Mike shared God's faithfulness to Mike and Rebecca and their family, God's provision for them as as a family to keep them together. God has been faithful. And in verse 24, Solomon recalls that he has seen the promise made to his father David fulfilled in his sight. Faithfulness is quite a difficult concept, isn't it? We, 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 we live in a world where the temptation is to be insular, to look inwards rather than outwards. And with that um, comes a sort of frenetic nature to life and experience. Someone who was with us one week might not be with us the next, and so we lose that sense that faithfulness is a concept which is familiar to us in our lives. And of course, when faithfulness breaks down within relationships, we can see devastating consequences. But here Solomon stands his prayer off the back of God's faithfulness, to his father David and to him in using him to build the temple. He stands his prayers of the faithfulness of God who created the heavens and the earth, was faithful to Noah and Abraham and Moses. Can you dare to trust that you can stand your lives on the faithfulness of God? Because that's the flip side of faithfulness, isn't it? If we encounter someone who is faithful, then slowly and surely we begin to put our trust in that person because they're faithful. They're consistently faithful in our lives. And so we trust them. Do you dare to trust the Lord this morning with your lives? And the reality is that God is not sometimes faithful or most of the time faithful. But God is, in the very core of his being, faithful. So, you know, when when God says, I am, you know, within the core of God is faithfulness. And in uh, 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1 and verse 9, we read this. God is faithful, who has called you to fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and so Solomon prays. He prays a prayer of adoration, of love for the Father, and he prays that off the back of being in a relationship with the living God, of being in a deep and binding covenantal relationship. He prays that prayer of adoration because he knows the incomparability of God, which can influence every situation um, for God's glory. And he prays that prayer off the back of God's faithfulness to him and his ancestors. So can you trust God enough to pray prayers of adoration this morning? Can you trust God enough when we sing in a few moments to worship him with an adoring heart because he's been faithful, because he's incomparable, and because he seeks to live with you in covenantal relationships?